grateful to be back with you. I'm leaving this afternoon for uh, Troy, Missouri. I'll be preaching there tonight. I'll be here for a couple of weeks, and I'll be in Birmingham. And then the last week of this month, on Sunday, I'll be in Anchorage, Alaska. And, and so that'll be nice and warm up there in the end of October. But uh, September, October are my, my busiest months. And so, so grateful for the pastors we have here that do such a wonderful job of caring for you and caring for the community. Howie does such a great job of preaching and leading, and uh, it's just good to be back with you today. Thank you for all the work you've done on this building, and we're so close to the end. We got the, the uh, children's area sheetrocked and ready to go, and just a short order, we'll have a nice children's area there as well. I want to turn your attention to the book of Matthew in the New Testament. We've been going through the book of Matthew. We, we go through books of the Bible, literally sort of one verse at a time. That's the way it was written, and it's the way it really helps us to look at it. So Matthew chapter 7 today. And you know, Matthew has a main theme. It has several themes, but the theme we've been looking at is that Jesus is a king. Matthew is Jewish. He's talking to the Jewish audience that Jesus is their king. That's why in the, in the early first chapter of Matthew, there's this huge list of names, lineage. You say, why in the world would the Bible spend so much time with all of those names? Well, so that Matthew can share with his audience that Jesus was the lineage. He was the king of the Jews. And, and then John the Baptist comes, right? And John the Baptist is the one who, who tells that the king is coming. And so anytime a king would come into a community or a king would arrive, there would be a herald to say, here comes the king. And Certainly that was John the Baptist's role to herald the coming of the king. And the king has a kingdom, and his kingdom has ways in which it functions. And so in what we call the Sermon on the Mount that begins in Matthew 6, Jesus gives a Sermon on the Mount that basically says the kingdom that he has is different than any kingdom on earth. And if we're going to be part of that kingdom, we're going to be different than anyone on earth. So go with me to Matthew's Gospel. We've been looking at the entire uh, part of John, chapter 1 and 2, and 3, and 4, 5, and 6. And this morning, we move into chapter 7. And remember, as we move into chapter 7, this doesn't just drop in out of nowhere. This is Jesus continuing his discussion, his sermon, his explanation of what it means to be part of his kingdom. And how it's different than the kingdom and the people see around them right now. I want to draw your attention to Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with measure it will be measured unto you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, or the splinter in your brother's eye, but not the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let's take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Father, I thank you for the chance to gather with the gathered church today. We're mindful of some in our midst who uh, have real problems in their life. They're struggling with their marriage, their finances, their health, their relationships. Some are really discouraged. Some are really frightened. Many who aren't with us that we love and care for dearly that are sick this morning, unable to be here, or traveling, or working, have other things that keep them from being with us. So even at this hour, make them aware of how much we love them and care for them. 
Lord, wherever the gospel is being preached in this community, across this county and around the world, we're just grateful for churches that love you and believers that love you. And we thank you for them. But Lord, here where we are right now, in the next few minutes, as we look at this very familiar passage of scripture, make it clear to us how it applies to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot of scriptures that are pulled out and misquoted, and maybe not many more than this. <laughs> it's the favorite scripture of people who never go to church, right? I mean, as they love to quote it. Judge not, you'll be judged. In other words, you can't tell me anything. It's amazing how just people who have no faith in Christ, no belief in the Bible, no belief in absolute truth, are real quick to point out that we're not supposed to judge anybody. Don't judge you, judge not. In other words, it's like this is my free get out of jail card, right? You know, I can do anything I want because you can't judge me. Again, that's not exactly what this scripture is talking about. Jesus here is talking and very much about the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He's been talking about them in contrast to his kingdom throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. And basically says, Jesus says, my kingdom is not like this religious kingdom you see around you right now. And he's very focused on that. And when he says, judge not, look, there's a lot of words in Greek for judge. And I'll, I really believe that the, the, the better word or phrase, and this will really make the scripture, I think, really open your eyes to it. It really is more of a sense, don't be critical. Don't be critical. Don't have a critical spirit. It's not that we're not supposed to help each other if we go off base anyplace. Not in the least. I could give you a tremendous number of scriptures, but one of them is way back in Leviticus. I know you probably read that this morning. Leviticus chapter, <laughs> Leviticus chapter 19. And in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. Okay, we all agree with that. Don't hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, listen, lest you incur sin because of him. You should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, look, you don't hate your brother, but also you can't ignore him when they're getting in trouble. You can't ignore them when they're about to fall into sin. That's loving them. And listen, there is a huge difference between loving someone and wanting to keep them from getting hurt and keep them from being damaged and keep them from a, a ruin and then just judging them. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus is talking about here. Certainly, I can tell you that 10, 12 years ago, something like that, I was over at Warno Road Baptist Church, and we were replanting that church in the heart of Kansas City, and I was working a full-time job besides that. And I was just, I was burning candles at every end possible, and I was just going in every direction possible. And, and uh, some of the people that work with me said that, you know, Mark has two ways of doing stuff. It's over the top and way over the top. And so, you know, I just really didn't know how to dial anything back at all. And the church, it was a difficult church, and it was a big old building, you know, that seated 600 people, and we were trying to, you know, we had about 40 or 50, you know, when at this point in time, maybe 60, and there was just so much that needed to be done. There was a high school down the street, was Southwest High School. I was down there about every day for football practice. I was the, the character coach and loved on those kids, and they all had tremendous needs in their lives, and, and I was working with the ad hoc committee against crime, 
and we were dealing directly with the parents and families of murder victims in our city, and I was working a full-time job, and I was just going every direction. And one night, I had a group of elders just like I have here. One night, one of those young elders called me. He said, hey, Mark, we got to meet up at the church tonight around 10 o'clock. Well, that wasn't really all that unusual. Most of these young elders had families and they worked. And if we had to have sort of an emergency meeting, we normally did it late at night. And I assumed that probably somebody in our church family was having a crisis. And we were going to talk about how we could help them work through it. So I got to the church. And when I got there, I noticed that the parking lot was already filled with all the cars of the elders. They were there well before me. You ever get the feeling you're walking into a meeting and it's been going on before you got there? And so sure enough, I walked into my office and there they all were looking at me. And I realized at that moment that that I was the subject of the meeting. And I really didn't know what to think. What have I done? Have I done something wrong? I've done a lot of things wrong in my life. You know, what's the deal here? These are some wonderfully kind young men that cared deeply for me. And uh, one of them who was an actual... uh, a medical student in residency, he said, Mark, we've been watching you, the way you've acted, the way you've talked, the way you've treated your wife, the way you've treated some of us, and, and we are absolutely convinced that you're just dealing with some serious depression that's going to lead you in a place that is just not going to be good. And, and you have to deal with that, and we're going to see that you deal with that, and we're not going to allow you not to deal with that. Now, any way you touch that, you can say, well, that's judging me, right? They're judging me. No, they're not judging me. They're, they're protecting me. They're carrying me. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're making sure I don't fall into some terrible... Look, you know, you hear about pastors who, who have moral failures all the time. I, I, I know many of them. breaks my heart. But for the majority of pastors who get into major trouble like that, they are in massive depression before that ever happens. And when they get into that situation, all your ra- rationality, everything goes away. You think you deserve all. It was a, it's a bad place to be. And so these young men weren't judging me. They were helping me. And so I want to make it abundantly clear that when Jesus says judge not, he's not telling us not to be discerning. You've got to be discerning. If you work with children here in our church, once, especially once we get the children's ministry going, but even now, if you work with children in our church... Guess what? You have to go through a background check, a criminal background check. That's judging, isn't it? That's being discerning. You've got to be discerning. I mean, if if someone had a history of automobile accidents and they, they just had their license taken away and they couldn't pay attention on a road no matter what and they kept getting into wrecks and their license was taken away and they couldn't get insurance, you probably wouldn't let them drive the church van. That's being discerning. So please, don't be so shallow to say, well, when Jesus says you can't judge, now you can't judge me. That's not what he's talking about. He's really speaking here, listen to me, about the heart of those who do the judging. Don't have a critical spirit towards your wife, towards your children, towards your husband, towards your co-workers, towards your neighbors, toward the person in line in front of you at the grocery store who decides to write a check and not fill it out until they get there. Don't have a critical spirit. Have you ever gone to a church and everybody there is critical of everybody? 
Everybody there is critical of the world. All they can talk about is how bad the world is and how bad people are and how nothing's. Who wants to be around that? Jesus says, do not have that critical spirit. Why? I'm going to give you three quick reasons, all right? Number one, you're not God. When you have that sort of critical spirit and you set yourself up and above other people, you're basically saying, I know what's going on in their life. I can judge their motives. You don't know what's going on in their life. You can't judge their motives. Very familiar illustration that I heard a pastor tell many years ago. I've never forgotten it. This was decades ago when pastors took trains across the nation, but it could happen today. But he, he was on a train and there was a young child sitting behind him, and he was, the child was just crying constantly. You know how that is on an airplane. But on a train, it's going to go on forever and ever and ever. And he was just becoming really upset that the parent just couldn't seem to calm the child down, couldn't do anything with the child. The child was just crying. The pastor just got angry and more angry and more bitter. Why can't they do that? My kid wouldn't do that. I wouldn't let my child do that. Parents today just don't know how to do with kids. He said, finally, when I got up, I walked by and I said, can you do anything to help that child be a little more quiet? To which the lady said, this is my niece. Her mom and dad were killed in an automobile accident. We have their bodies in the baggage car. And she wants to go back there. Don't be critical. You don't know what people are going through. That's that critical, judgmental spirit that Jesus says, don't have that. And I have to guard against it. You have to guard against it. You go to, a, go to a restaurant and the waitress doesn't really pay attention to you. They don't bring you your water. They don't give you what you want. Especially today when it's so hard to find help. And you get frustrated with the waitress. You don't know. She very well. Listen, I, I heard. I, I've, I've, careful because this is going over line. <laughs> I, I follow some folks on Facebook that are friends of mine that are not followers of Jesus. It's a wonderful way to sort of get connected with them and, and keep my eyes and ears on the world. And, and this particular person lives in New York City. And so I was list, I watched on, on Twitter. They were having a discussion. This, 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 she was a waitress. And she said, you know, I just had a terrible day. And she was listening to all the difficulties that she had. And people were so rude and so uncaring. And she said, but this one lady who I'd never met, she sort of sensed I was having a bad day. And she said to me, she said, dear, would you like me to pray for you right now? And this lady's not a Christian. She doesn't believe in any of this. But she said, I said, yes. And she said, I went back into, into, the, uh, into the kitchen. And she said, I cried because here's a lady who doesn't know anything about me. They didn't judge me, but wanted to pray for me. That is what Jesus is talking about here. Because you're not God. You can't set yourself up as the judge and the jury on somebody else's life. You can discern. You can help a brother or sister keep from falling and from sin. That's what loving people do. But that's totally different than that critical, harsh spirit that criticizes the way they dress, that criticizes the way they raise their kids, that criticizes the way they live, that criticizes every. Secondly, not only are you not God, but when you criticize and judge other people, you elevate yourself. You basically are trying to make yourself feel better than other people because of what you're doing. And that brings all kinds of pride and all kinds of ch challenges. And it, listen, it's not going to help your marriage. I know we had a marriage conference the other night, and, and Jill and I were just, we were right at the edge of coming up and telling you really how to do it right, weren't we, Jill? We were just going to come up and tell them this is how you do a good marriage. <laughs> We've learned a lot in 25, 30 years. But listen, I had a good friend of mine the other day tell me, he said,
you know, I'm a very competitive person. And he said, I love my wife and she loves me. We've been married forever. But he said, I realized a few years ago, I don't want to win an argument with my wife. Because if I win the argument, she loses. And she and I are one. And I don't want her to lose. Now let that sink in for a minute. You don't have to win the argument. You don't have to be victorious in this. Because it makes you feel more proud. You want to care for your spouse. You want to care for your friends. You want to care for your church family. You're not there to show that you're better than them or you know more than them or you're more powerful than them or you're better than them. You want to be able to identify with them and love them and help them. So judge not, Jesus says, because you're not God. You don't know what that person is going through. You can't yourself set yourself up like that. Judge not, because when you do, you tend to elevate yourself and you feel like you're superior to somebody else. And that's pride. And there's one thing God cannot take and detest, and he makes it abundantly clear. It is pride. And thirdly, judge not, at least you'll be judged. Hmm. J.D. Greer told a wonderful, uh, he explained it in a wonderful way in the video we saw last Friday night of the parable that Jesus told of the man who, owned, who owed an immense amount of money, a lifetime worth of money, you know, like some of your credit cards. They, they were never going to be paid off, no, no matter how long you worked, they would never get paid off. And back in those days, if you didn't pay off your loan to someone, you couldn't file bankruptcy. You had to become an indentured servant. And your family did too. And maybe your children and grandchildren until that was paid off. And so he comes before this man to whom he owes a lifetime worth of money and cannot pay it. And he begs for mercy. And as J.D. said, in those days, if you gave that kind of money to someone, you were not the kind of person that would forgive it. That wasn't what you did. But on this one particular occasion, the man's heart was filled with compassion and he forgave the man of this amazing debt that he could never pay. So he was now free. His children were free. His grandchildren were free. And out of delight, he runs out of that place excited. But he runs into a man that owes him just a few bucks. And he wants it right now. The man says, I can't pay you right now. So he literally grabs him by the throat and is hauling him off to debtor's prison. Of course, the listeners to Jesus' story about that would say, well, that's silly. Nobody who just been relieved of tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt would throw someone in prison for $2 worth of debt. But that's exactly what you and I do when we judge other people and forget how much we've been forgiven of by God. Judge not, lest you be judged. You want to be, you have not been judged according to, you have been given the grace of God. And how many times do we say, people say, why do, you, why do you give all the money to the school? Why do you have the big community events? Why do you feed people here every Wednesday night? You know, why, why, are you, why do you have the free music classes? And why do you have the free Zumba classes? And why do, you do, why do you do all this stuff in the community? Are you trying to get people to come to your church? And the answer to that is a resounding, no, we're not doing that to get people to come to our church. This isn't a restaurant. We want to be, get a crowd to it. We're doing that because those who've been dealt most generously with and have the most grace light upon them should be the most generous people and give away grace more than anybody else. And we need to wake up every day and realize God has been so rich in his grace and his mercy to us that out of the overflow with that, it's like the guy who had all of his debts forgiven. He wants to forgive everybody now because he knows how great that is. So judge not. 
Don't be critical. Don't be condemning. Don't jump to conclusions about people. Don't think that you know their backstory. Don't think that you know their motives. And what the Pharisees were doing that Jesus was speaking of here, they were excellent at judging. They lived to judge people. That's all they did. They judged how you walked. They judged how you talked. They judged what you ate. They judged what you didn't eat. They judged how much money you gave. They judged everything about you. And it was, listen, it was all exterior. God, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. Do you remember a few months ago, we went through the entire book of James and James, who is the brother of Jesus, by the way. So James, he knows all of this. And when he's writing his his letter to all of us who are Christians, he has some wonderful words about how we're to live. He says in verse 11 of chapter four, do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks evil or criticizes or condemns speaks evil against a brother He is judged by the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Here's what what James is saying. Don't criticize and don't condemn because you're judged by the same law. You're not the giver of the law. You're not God. Vengeance is not yours. It is mine, saith the Lord. I realize in the biblical code in the Old Testament, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But it does not mean this. Listen, it does not mean if somebody punches your tooth out, you go punch their tooth out. That's not what that means. What it means is it gives, it gives governmental authority the power to enact governmental laws to punish wrong behavior. That's what God is saying. It's a governmental code. It's not a personal code. We don't have a right to be act of God as, as judge and jury. Judge not, lest you be judged. Judge not, don't be critical. Don't be, how many of us would love to come to a place, a gathered church every week? Check this out. Where nobody's going to criticize us. Now, if, if I'm living in a way that's not healthy, that I'm headed down a wrong path, I'm going to drive off a cliff. I want some brothers to say, whoa, hey, come back here. We love you. Man, you keep going this way. But they're not criticizing me. They're not judging me. They're helping me. I know their motives. I know their heart. And then goes right along with this in verse 3. By the way, again, that's everything different than the Pharisees would have done. They lived to judge people. So when Jesus says, you don't don't judge folks. You you don't have that critical spirit. And then number 3, verse 3. When you see the, the splinter... That is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Now, listen, I don't want to say that the splinter is no big deal. You know, some people would say, well, that's a little tiny sin and a great big sin. Look, if you got a splinter in your eye, it's a big deal. I mean, he's not saying that it's not a danger and not a problem. But what he's saying is, sometimes, obviously... In our hypocrisy as people, where it's easy to pick out the flaws and the difficulties with others and completely overlook our flaws and our difficulties. And the first thing we need to do if we're going to love our brother to help him get the speck out of his eye is get the log out of our eye first. 
If you really want to love your brother, if you really want to be a good church member, if you really want to be part of a great community, the most important thing you can do isn't to look around and make sure you're making sure nobody's doing anything wrong, but to wake up every morning and look in the mirror and say, Lord, show me where I'm missing it. Show me where I'm going wrong. Help me to repent of the stuff that I've done. Melt my heart. Don't make me prideful. Don't make me judgmental. Let me realize how much you've given to me. Let me be the sweetest, kindest, most generous person in my extended family. Let me be the most sweetest, kindest person in my community. And when I take the log out of my eye, I can help my neighbor take the splinter out of his eye. That's what Jesus is saying here. So vitally and terribly important. Jesus tells a wonderful parable of two men who go to the temple to pray. One of them is a Pharisee. Again, just think of a guy who's wearing the right religious clothes, saying the right religious things. Outwardly, he is about as good a guy as you're going to get. He doesn't eat what he's not supposed to eat. He reads the scripture every day. He memorizes it. He gives his tithe, and everybody sees him give it. He's the dude. And then this other guy goes to the temple to pray. And he's a collaborator with the Romans. And the Romans are occupiers. So I want you to think if you were in the Second World War, it would be like a French person who was working for the Nazis in Paris. Not particularly loved by other French people. And so when you say a tax collector, we don't just mean they hated him because he collected money for the Romans. They hated him because he turned his back on his culture, his people, and everything else and became a collaborator with an oppressive regime that was occupying their city. He decided, you know what, if the Romans are here, I'm going to look out for myself and make the most I can out of it. And I'm going to do it off the backs of my family and my friends. And so Jesus says, on this day, the Pharisee went to the temple to pray. And he went to a place where everybody could see him. And he stood up there and he said, Lord God, thank you. I'm not like uh, this guy over here, this terrible, terrible tax collector, this terrible person who has collaborated with the ungodly Romans. God, thank you I'm not like that. Meanwhile, the tax collector, not really wanting to be seen by anybody, just kind of huddles over there by himself and cries out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God says, one of them went away, completed, and one of them didn't. For the hypocrisy of the Pharisee was such a log in his eye he couldn't see anything. And that's the case. And that's the case we have. And so when Jesus says, you want to be part of my kingdom? Get rid of that critical spirit. You want to be part of my kingdom? Love your brother. You want to be part of my kingdom? Look at yourself first. And, take your, and, and if you've got enough to take care of just worrying about the stuff going on in your life. You want to be part of my kingdom? Realize how much you've been forgiven of. You realize what you actually deserve and what you're not getting because Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, and rose on the third day and took upon himself the sin that you and I should have. Let me ask you a question. If you wake up every morning and you realize his mercy is new on me today, I woke up a Christian not because of anything I did today, but I woke up a Christian because... Jesus kept me saved, and he'll keep me saved all of eternity. When I have that kind of mentality, I can't judge somebody. 
I can discern what's right and what's wrong. I can be discerning. I can be caring. I can help people avoid problems. But that critical, judgmental spirit and heart. And look, I don't have to explain it to you. You know it when you have it. And it doesn't come from Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word and how it speaks directly to us. And there isn't one of us in here that doesn't have a problem with being critical and condemning, jumping to conclusions, being the judge and jury and executioner of people. Lord, help us realize we are not God. That's not our job. Help us realize when we do that, Father, we become more fond of ourselves and we inflate our own ego. And Lord, help us realize when we do that, we completely miss how much we've been forgiven. And Lord, may we every day wake up and desire to have you clean us up and remove what's wrong in our life before we ever try to look around and try to fix somebody else. Father, forgive us. So many times your church here on earth has been a place full of legalism, full of people who want to obey rules and make everybody else obey rules, full of people who have very little grace for anyone who falls or falters. That's not your kingdom. Lord, may we judge not, that we not be judged according to that, but may we judge others the way you've judged us, full of grace, full of compassion, full of mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.